wonderful to see you here this afternoon at our two-month series on spiritual warfare. And uh, just in case you haven't heard, I want to encourage you to think about staying on for our 7 o'clock Holy Spirit fire service. Uh, we are blessed to have RT speaking many of our mornings, but he is a special guest this evening at the 7 o'clock service. And he's going to be bringing a message that's been on his heart for many years, and he's got a fresh message out of that, and he's going to be talking about prophetic integrity and honoring the name of the Lord, which is very important for us as we move forward in personal revival. We're also going to be praying for people's needs, for those that are sick, and, uh, and believing that the Holy Spirit is going to move in many different ways. So that's to come this evening. Don't forget to keep praying for our senior minister, Colin Dye. He, uh, uh, will, he has been in Brazil last week, and I spoke to him earlier this morning, and this week he's coming back for our men's breakfast at the weekend. Amanda, his wife, has been with him and is returning early next week. He's got some key meetings in strategizing the Sword of the Spirit series out there, and he's also been speaking in some uh, uh, um, important churches and strategic churches that we are partnering out there in Brazil. So do remember him uh, in, in, in your prayers. Well, if you could turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, please, and verse 10. This is the reading that, if you were with us last week, I didn't read this reading, but if, who was here last week? But what I did is I showed you a clip of Margaret Thatcher's funeral. And she had uh, pre-planned her funeral, and in it she had the Prime Minister... And uh, he was speaking from John's Gospel about no one knows the way to the Father except through the Son, and that was, that was wonderful. And then her granddaughter uh, took this reading that I'm about to read to you. And I think Margaret Thatcher understood, because in, in, in all of that cathedral, you could see all these great and mighty politicians from all the way around the world that had come to honor the woman that had died, and uh, her granddaughter read from this passage, and uh, it was very pertinent. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, but on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought. 
we will be coming back to this passage in Ephesians again and again and again. And we will be looking at what this passage teaches us personally about spiritual warfare, about how we have this armor to stand against the wiles of the enemy, and also a sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, to advance and to fight back. Now, last week, we took a little bit of an overview of the battlefield. Uh, If we're talking about spiritual warfare, we have to ask ourselves, well, what is the battlefield? What is the nature of the battlefield? What is the nature of, of the war? And I'm going to speak a little bit about that. Then we're going to speak about the power of the enemy over those that have not yet come to Christ. And we're going to look at how we can believe God to release the captives and to pray for people to be saved. And then in the next coming days, we're going to be looking at the character and nature of Satan. And in looking at what the Bible reveals about Satan, we can find how he tries to operate against us. Now, we have nothing to fear to teach on these subjects. All scripture is profitable for teaching and exhorting and encouraging. And uh, if if anybody is afraid that maybe I shouldn't be preaching on these topics, I would prefer a lot more prayer if I was teaching on something like the blood of Christ or atonement or why Christ died because that's what the devil really hates. But what we'll be looking at here is all in Scripture. Now, we don't want to step outside Scripture. That's where it all goes wrong. When people project doctrines, when people move out of Scripture into conjecture. Never forget that the devil, one of his uh, names is the angel of light. So when we're teaching on this subject of spiritual warfare, uh, we shouldn't be conjecturing. We shouldn't be assuming. We should stay close to what Scripture says. So next week, when we look at the origin of the enemy, we look at some of his names, and, and you will probably know, for example, that the name Satan means accuser. And one of his greatest weapons against the believer is to accuse them, to keep us guilt-ridden and fear-ridden, and feeling that God can't use us. We'll be looking at that and other things as we move forward. But today I want to remind you that here in Ephesians chapter 6, it says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Some religions um, try and propagate their faith through wrestling against flesh and blood. What do you think ISIS are doing? A strict reading of the Quran and uh, the Hadiths uh, would project that the way that Islam should go forward is by political coercion or even by military coercion to bring in the caliph, to bring in the kingdom of Islam. But this couldn't be further or more opposite to the teaching of the gospel, which says that we do not war against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's why I think it's so wonderful that Margaret Thatcher's daughter read this passage at a funeral. One of the, whether you like Margaret Thatcher or not, she was one of the greatest politicians that Britain has ever known, a great woman. And so to have all those great heads of state and, and politicians from all their around sitting there and to have this written, read over them with all their political power that they represent, human power, all their economic power, that they represent, or their military power that they represent, 
And we'd see these things and, and sometimes behind these types of human powers, demonic forces are working, but we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against these spiritual authorities and powers. Now, it's important that we see that these spiritual authorities and powers exist. And in fact, Jesus came to dethrone these powers. He, he nailed these powers to the cross. He defeated them on the cross. He took the curse off our lives from, from the law. You see, if you're not in Christ, then you're still in Adam. Last week, I talked a little bit about the battlefield of this planet Earth. I said it's important for us to survey the battlefield and to understand the nature of the war that has been taking place since the fall of Adam. The battlefield is a fallen world. How many of you know that this world is not as God first created it? When God created the world and everything in it, he said it was good. When he created Adam and Eve, he said it was very good. It was perfect. There was no sickness. There was no dying. There was no war. There was no evil. Everything was as God had planned. But then the first stage of the battle took place when Satan, in the form of a serpent, came and using his wiles, Ephesians speaks about his wiles, using his lies, speaking against the word of God. He entrapped both Adam and Eve, it, and uh, they turned against God. And when Adam fell, the whole of the universe fell with him. And from that point, the whole of his offspring was what we call, in Romans chapter 5, in Adam. What does it mean to be in Adam? Each one of us were born in Adam. It means that whatever happened to Adam happened to us. He was the head of humanity. When he fell, all of his offspring fell with him. Whatever happened to him happened to us. And there was a new ruling power on the earth. And this ruling power was based in the power of sin. Let me tell you something about the enemy. We'll see this as we go through the weeks. Satan uses sin in order to take power over people's lives. Where there's no sin, Satan can't get in. So I will look at the Ephesian passage that says, don't give the devil a foothold. Or the Greek word is topos. Don't give the devil a space. And it's in the middle of different types of sinful activity. And Paul is saying, don't give him a landing ground. Don't give him space where he can operate. And so wherever there's the power of sin, that's where the devil can operate. This is why Jesus said, the prince of this world has got nothing in me. There was no area, no topos, no space where the enemy could uh, work his schemes. And we'll, 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 be looking, we'll be looking at that. So those of us that are in Adam, we are firstly not under the power of Satan. The key power for those that aren't regenerate, those that aren't Christians, the key power that they are under is the power of sin. Romans says that they are slaves to sin, in bondage to sin. And because of that, the devil uses authority over them, as we'll see. But break the power of sin... And then you will also break the power of the devil. 
You say, is that right? Well, yes, we could have a look. Maybe we should turn there right now. It's a very powerful passage. If we just turn to 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. He who sins is of the devil. You see the link there? Somebody that's under the power of sin, the devil has, uh, has authority to work in their lives. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was revealed, that he might destroy the works of the devil. You see, at the root of the devil's work is sin. And Jesus, he laid the axe to the root. This is why the ultimate act of spiritual warfare was Jesus being nailed to the cross. And when he was nailed to the cross, Colossians tell us that he defeated these principalities and powers. Why? Because he had pulled the rug under their feet. And the rug that they were standing on was the bondage of sin in humanity. And so in this passage, we see that, that spiritual warfare is dealing with sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the preaching of the gospel is the power of God which delivers people from the realm of sin, Satan, and the condemnation of the law. The gospel delivers people into the kingdom of the, of, of, of the Son of God. This is important to understand it's a deliverance when you come to Christ. You are under the power of Satan, nothing you could do about it. You are enslaved to sin's principle, nothing you could do about it. You are condemned by the law, and that was the realm that you were living in. But when the gospel was preached, it broke the power of sin... It broke the power of Satan's blinding of your eyes and it released you from the condemnation of the law and you were translated and delivered into a whole new realm. It would be like living in Saudi Arabia in that oppressive culture. Ladies, if you were living in Saudi Arabia today, there's not much you could do. You couldn't even drive a car. And their oppressive laws and their oppressive activities. It would be a horrible place to live in Saudi Arabia unless God had sent you as a missionary. A horrible place. And then imagine only knowing that and then suddenly someone gave you a free ticket to the United Kingdom. Now the United Kingdom is no, in no ways perfect but the deliverance and the freedom that you would experience by being in a new realm would be amazing. Part of our discovery, part of our understanding of spiritual warfare is really to discover who we are in Christ. You're not the old person that you used to be. You may have been born as the old man, lived as the old man or the old woman in Adam, lived under the, the, the torment of Satan and the oppression of sin. But if you're saved here today, you're no longer there. You're in a new realm where sin has been defeated, Satan has been defeated, and while we're on this earth, God wants us to live in an ever-increasing experience of what has actually taken place to us in Christ. This is spiritual warfare. We also said that there is a mighty war that's taking place in the world today. And this mighty war 
is the devil and all his forces, what we call the kingdom of darkness, against God and all his forces. And the key to understanding history is to see that there is this great clash. Now, this isn't two equal and opposite forces uh, like like, uh, Manichaeism or yin and yang where, where, oh, I wonder who's going to win. Sometimes when we look at what's going on in the earth, it is true. It can drive us to almost despair when we see Satan running amok out there. But it isn't that God is equal with Satan. On the contrary, when we read the book of Job, we see that, that, that Satan is given limits by God. And even what Satan does ultimately can be used by God for his glory. They're not two equal and opposite. Jesus is Lord. But there is a mighty battle that's taking place. And this is the key to understanding our own individual experience, is what are the aims of the enemy? What is Satan's aim? Well, Satan's main aim on his short time that he has left on the earth is to destroy God's work and to prevent him from being glorified. That's the big thing. Satan hates the glory of God. We'll see next week when we look at what the Bible teaches of his origin, there's certainly something that we can know is that the devil rebelled against God because he wanted to be God. He wanted the glory. And so God, Satan knows that the, that the image of God on earth today, even though it's a fallen world, it's still got such a beautiful image of God and his original creation. The world is a beautiful place and an awful place at the same time. But it still has that beautiful image of God. His signature is still written in in the universe, and his signature is best seen in human beings' lives. But the devil knows that man and woman made in God's image, that he wants to attack the image of God on earth. He wants to hinder worship. He wants to hinder the obedience of God. And most of all, he wants to hinder the knowledge of God. This is why the preaching of the gospel is so powerful. And this is why the preaching of the gospel is what the devil wants to shut down the most. Because it's the gospel that delivers. I am not ashamed of the gospel, says Paul in Romans. Because it is the power of God. For salvation, the power of God, the gospel preached and shared under the anointing of the Holy Spirit is the power of God that delivers us from the realm of sin and therefore the realm of Satan and condemnation. It delivers us from that. And so the the devil hates the gospel. He hates witnessing. He, he, He wants to prevent that from taking place. We saw that he operates, and we'll see more of that, through subtlety. In Genesis chapter 3, he was subtle. It was his wiles. It was his trickery and his deception that brought Adam and Eve into the fall. Well, when we talk about the world, and we talk about those that are not yet in the kingdom of God, and we said that the, the greatest taskmaster is not Satan, but sin. But where sin abounds, Satan abounds. 
One of the names that Jesus gave Satan, we'll look at this, was Beelzebub. Remember when they accused Jesus of casting out demons by the Lord of demons? And Jesus rebuked them for that. How can a, a house divided stand against itself? And he said to, and, and he used the word Beelzebub. Now, Beelzebub literally means Lord of the Flies. You've read that book, Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies. And that's a good description of Satan because where do flies congregate? Do you find flies in a lovely clean kitchen where there's disinfectant? No, but if you go to a rubbish dump or a dung heap, doesn't it attract the flies? Not only does it attract the flies, but the flies can multiply and they can multiply. Well, this is a picture. Where there is sin, that's where the devil can multiply his works. That's where he gets... We will be looking in our lives and in the church through spiritual warfare in the next two months that, that a lot of the things that we do to fight Satan are simply to clean ourselves up by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not to cheat, not to lie, not to these things which the enemy is looking to get in. We can shut the door on him. And uh, if we go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 though, we can see the, how the Lord of the flies, the Beelzebub, works in those that are, that are presently under the power of sin. Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> Verse 1. Thank God you've been made alive in Christ. Anybody here glad they're alive in Christ? No longer in Adam, the old man. And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit which now works in the sons of disobedience, among also whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. I'll read the next bit because it's the good bit. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up together and made to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So can you see that those that are dead in the realm of sin, powerless to save themselves, are easy meat from the enemy, who here is the spirit working in the sons of disobedience. A fallen world and a fallen people. We see that the devil controls these fallen people. He is the spirit at work. How does he control people? He controls their mindset. He controls their mindset. He controls the world's outlook. He controls the world's mind. This is why in James, James says that, um, let me just find it. Oh, yeah. That's the other James. I know it's chapter 4. James says that friendship with the world is what? En enmity with God. He's saying to Christians, 
why are you still walking with the world's mindset? Because that's the enemy of God. That, 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 that's the mindset controlled by Satan. Friendship with the world and its mindset is being like an enemy to God. But having the mind of Christ, that's being a friend of God. And so when we, when we read this passage, we can also go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 to see this a little bit more clearly. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 or verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is God who commanded light to shine out darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light and the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we see that there is a blinding effect by the God of this age. This is the satanic blinding effect. Now, the battle, the major battle that we face, we talk about spiritual warfare, and you really want to know where the battleground is for the believer? It's in the mind. The battlefield is in the mind, most importantly. This is why one of the, the, the great teachings of Paul in the New Testament is that we would be renewed in the spirit of our mind, the renewal of the mind. What is the new renewal of the mind? It's to understand what happened the day you were saved. To really understand that you're not the old person that you used to be, powerless under sin, powerless under Satan, and condemned by the law, but actually you are a new creation and that you are now in a realm, not of Satan and sin, but of grace. The big danger is through the deceits of the enemy and uh, our own fleshly thinking, although we're in a new kingdom, sometimes our mind still acts as if we're in the old kingdom. Isn't that true? Can any of you say, you know, I, I, know, I know I'm saved, I know I'm in a new kingdom, but sometimes my mind, it goes back to the old ways. What we need is a renewal of the mind. We need our mind to catch up with what's happened to our spirit. We are born again, a new creation, no longer under condemnation, no longer under control of the enemy, no longer in bondage to sin. But our mind needs to wake up to the fact and be washed and renewed. And that's where the devil gets in with his fiery darts that we'll look at trying to keep us in bondage so that we don't experience an ever-increasing victory in being in the kingdom of God and not in the kingdom of darkness. So the God of this age blinds and veils. Isn't that amazing? It's demonic power that is blocking people from seeing the kingdom of God. He is controlling people's minds. And he does this in many, many different ways. He does this in demonic philosophies and teachings and false religions. And, uh, and, and just like he did with Adam and Eve, 
so out there in many different forms and guises, he brings people into deceit. Deceit. Do you remember, maybe, how you used to think before you got saved? Do you remember how you used to think about God or how you used to think about Christians or the church or the Bible? And you think back and you think, it's amazing to think how I thought in those days. I was so deceived. I, or maybe it wasn't that you were deceived where you were, but, but you just couldn't see it. Do you remember that? I remember the time when I was uh, doing A-level RE, and I wasn't saved, and, and I was studying John's Gospel. And uh, I was working on a Saturday at the Argos Superstore in the back rooms, bringing, as people typed in what they wanted, I would bring it from the stockroom. And the manager was a Christian, and I sat with him in his office one day, and he asked me what I was doing. I said, I'm doing A-level RE, John's Gospel. And he said, ah, John 3.16, the most important passage in that Gospel. I said, never heard of it. (laughs) And he said, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. (sighs) Went right over my head. Couldn't see it. Didn't penetrate, meant nothing to me, didn't understand why he was even mentioning it. And then I look back, and now when I got saved, all of a sudden God switched the lights on. He, he shone his glory into our hearts. That's powerful. We'll come back to that in a minute. Now, the gospel releases us from the kingdom of darkness. And the gospel continues to release us from the darkness that still remains. How many know that once you get born again, it doesn't immediately mean that you're suddenly so illuminated with all of God's truth. Knowing God is a lifelong experience, isn't it? Uh, Growing from glory to glory. Maturing as a Christian. This is a lifelong experience. And it's the good news of the New Testament. It's the good news of God that continually brings light into our lives if we were open to it and gives us a continually increasing experience of liberty. Know where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I want to come back to that in a a few moments. Acts chapter 26, verse 17, talks about this darkness where um, Paul is reminding people of the call of of God on his life in Acts 26, 17. And he says that God has called him to open the eyes of the Gentiles who are in darkness and to to deliver them from the power of Satan to the power of God so that they could receive forgiveness and inheritance and sanctification. So Paul's ministry of preaching the gospel was a deliverance ministry. It was a miracle of opening people's eyes Not necessarily physical eyes, although that happened, but the eyes of their heart so that they could see the truth of God's gospel. And that was a deliverance from Satan to God. The manifesto of Jesus, Luke chapter 4, straight after he had come out of his great testing with the enemy, we'll look at that in the weeks to come, and we'll see that Jesus defeated the enemy and modeled how to deal with his tests and temptations by wielding the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, in Ephesians chapter 6. That's why Jesus said, it is written. 
He didn't get into any arguing with the devil. He didn't get, get in. He just kept speaking the anointing word, the, anoint, the appropriate anointed word of God. And it's interestingly enough that although the devil hates the word of God, ultimately he understands that that is the only weapon that can defeat him on this earth, the sword of the spirit. Anyway, after that testing, we'll look at that. He went and he, in Luke, he, he, he set out his manifesto. We're hearing all about the manifestos of different political parties. Well, Luke chapter 4 is, is, is Jesus' manifesto. And he starts with something very important. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news to the poor. And in it, he says, he's going to bind up the brokenhearted. Now listen to this. He's bringing liberty to the captives. He's bringing sight to the blind. And he's bringing liberty to those that are oppressed. Now, you, you can look at that in many different formats. But the main emphasis here is spiritual. He's going to bring sight to the blind, the spiritually blind. He's going to bring liberty to those that are captives of the enemy and of sin. And he's going to take us away from the oppression of the enemy. Now, I want to say something about praying for the lost. Some people even say that we shouldn't pray for the lost. They say there's nothing in Scripture that says that we should pray for the lost. Well, there is. And one of the greatest passages is Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Paul, in Romans 9, has just explained the sovereignty of God and the election of God and that God has mercy on whoever he has mercies and, and that really salvation is first and foremost all about God and all about his glory. And it's just so wonderful that, that God is glorified by bringing us to faith, Romans 9. And then Romans 10, he'll start speaking about the importance to get out there and share the gospel. How will they be saved if they don't hear the gospel? And how will they, not hear, how will they hear the gospel unless it's preached? And how will they preach unless they've been sent? And, and you don't have to climb up or go down. Anybody can receive Christ. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And all you need to be saved is to truly once believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and is raised from the dead. And you're translated from darkness to light. But in, in Romans 10.1, in between these two, he says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Even though he knew that God had high plans and even purposes in many of the Jews not being saved at that time, bringing in the Gentiles, he was consistent about his prayers. And one of the most important things to realize about releasing people from the chains of darkness is that the power of God is in the releasing of the gospel. So when we release the good news, which is Jesus, it releases supernatural power. 2 Corinthians 3, we were looking at Corinthians talking about um, the God of this age blinding the unbeliever. But you know, we are ministers of the Spirit, Ephesians say. And that where the Spirit is, there is liberty. So when we're praying for the lost, one of the greatest things that we can do is ask the Holy Spirit to come and influence the lost's life. You say, why? Well, because 
the Holy Spirit in John 16, the Holy Spirit came with the express purpose to bring conviction to the world. To bring them the conviction first of sin, then righteousness, how to be freed from sin, and then interestingly enough, the third thing the Holy Spirit's come to convict the world of is the defeat of the enemy, that the prince of this world has been defeated. So the Holy Spirit is the great power of God in defeating Satan. Shall I give you the greatest spiritual warfare prayer that you could ever pray for yourself or anybody else? The greatest prayer that you could ever pray is three words. Come Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the power of God that drives out the enemy. Now, for 30 years, Jesus was there on earth and we have no record of him casting out demons. We have him, no record of demons recognizing him or making a fuss as a young boy. But the moment that he was anointed and baptized with the Holy Spirit, the moment that took place, everything changed. The anointing was now expressly manifest upon him. So straight away when he comes out of his manifesto, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, what's the first thing Luke records that happens after his rejection as he reads that passage by his own people? It's a deliverance of a demon. And the demon says, who are you? All of a sudden, the demons are starting to get agitated because there is a man walking around with the anointing of the Holy Spirit on. And it shakes them, and it, and, and it makes them... It's, it's like shaking a wasp's nest, the anointing of God. And they begin to cry out, we know who you are. They begin to cry out, why have you come to... And you know what Jesus did? He said, shut up and come out. He didn't engage in any discussions about what their name was. He didn't do any spiritual mapping. He, he, he didn't even go after them. They saw the anointing. They manifest. And a beautiful word... One of the greatest words, be muzzled. Be muzzled. Shut up and come out. Powerful. That's the Holy Spirit. When, when Jesus spoke about and defended his deliverance ministry, and he said, if by the finger of God I cast out demons. Another way of him saying that was, if by the Spirit of God I cast out demons. The Spirit of God is the finger of God, and the Holy Spirit hates the devil, and the devil hates the Holy Spirit. And there's probably only one thing that the enemy fears on earth, and that is the Holy Spirit on a Christian that's sanctified. That's why sanctification, that's why uh, delivering power, that's why uh, it's, it's all about preaching the gospel with an anointing, casting out the enemy. When the Holy Spirit comes in power, I expect there to be demonic manifestations. When we think of revivals in the past, when we have seen seasons and moves of God even here in Kensington Temple, one of the things that we notice is that there is a great meeting of people with God. Salvations, conversions, people coming from backslidden states and encountering God in a deep way because of the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, there are demonic manifestations. 
This is because the devil hate, because the Holy Spirit wars against sin and he wars against Satan. And he comes to rescue and convince people that they need deliverance. Even in Galatians chapter 5, it says that the flesh wars against the spirit. And the spirit wars against the flesh. What is the flesh there? It's the works of the flesh. It's those fleshly things that you see in Galatians 5 that allowed the devil an opportunity or an entrance into believer's life and the Holy Spirit is against the works of the flesh and is passionate against them because he wants us to be free from the enemy. He wants us to be free from what the enemy is trying to do to us. One of the greatest spiritual warfare prayers that you can pray is your will be done, your kingdom come. So when you're praying for the lost, say, Lord, I pray, I ask that you will come on so-and-so and that you will influence their minds instead of the enemy influencing their minds. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will come in your convicting power. Isn't that what we need in Britain today? We need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What would that be like? If the Holy Spirit fell in power on, on Britain, it would cause every demon in the nation to manifest, but many of them would be driven out as they were in Jesus' time. But also, it would mean that the Holy Spirit and the gospel would come and it would break the mind chains of the enemy. It would cause light to shine into the darkness of people's minds. It would cause eyes to open, the blinding of the enemy to be loosened on people's lives. And for the Holy Spirit, the finger of God, to come onto people's lives and to break the chains with the sword of the Spirit that is holding them. Now today I've been speaking a little bit about the convicting work of the Holy Spirit and that that's what we should be praying over our lost loved ones. Praying for the Holy Spirit to intervene. Praying for opportunities for them to come to the Word. Praying, as Paul said, when, when Paul finished this Ephesians, he finishes with the sword of the Spirit, doesn't he? Which is the Word of God. And then he says, pray. Pray the Word. Speak the Word. And pray for me. Pray that I would have an opportunity for the Gospel. Pray, he said, pray that I'll have utterance given to me. In other words, not just speaking in language or speaking words or giving Bible sermons, but something with an anointing on it. What is anointing? Anointing is simply the empowering of the Holy Spirit to say things that have extraordinary effects on other people. He says, pray Pray, pray within the Spirit, with the sword of the Spirit, an utterance that may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. And that which we pray for those to be saved, that's which we pray, God, open the blind eyes of my lost loved one by the power of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, come, come upon these people. Give them opportunities to hear the gospel. Give me a word that will unlock their hearts for you. Come, Holy Spirit. But the same prayer as I close today, that we can pray for the lost, we need to pray for ourselves. We need a mighty deliverance. One of the prayers I pray over my life, more than anything else, is, Holy Spirit, help me. 
I'm so narrow-minded. I'm so asleep. I, 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 I'm so in darkness. God, you've got to open my mind to think as you think, to see as you see. Holy Spirit, touch my life. Let me see things from Christ's view. Let me see things as you see them and not as the world is. Let me see things from heaven's view. Oh, Holy Spirit, there must be so many things in our eyes. You know, we see the spot speck in somebody else's. What about the log in our own? I assume, I assume that I have a log in my eye. I assume it. And I say, Holy Spirit, I don't even know where it is. Please, because light is power. Light, revelation, understanding from the Holy Spirit as he takes the word and, and opens the word in our lives, he drives out more darkness. He drives out the power of the enemy that's still trying to hold us back. Light brings truth. Light brings revelation. This is spiritual warfare, that the gospel should be preached to the whole world and that the gospel should be preached to one another and that we should believe on the gospel that we hear and experience greater deliverance, a greater anointing as the Holy Spirit comes by the sword of the Spirit to bring deliverance to his church and deliverance, we pray, for a nation and for a world. Next week, we're going to look at the characteristics of the enemy the names of Satan, so that we can tell how he comes against us in our Christian lives. We don't want to be in the boxing ring with the invisible boxer. We want the boxer of the enemy to be exposed so that we can see what he's doing, how he's trying to do it, resist him, and then see him flee. God's desire is for us to be so filled with the Spirit and so walking in the Word and so uh, uh, aware of the devil's schemes that we can submit to God, resist to the devil, and see only his backside running from us rather than always being on the, offense, the defensive and sometimes not even knowing where the blows are coming from. I encourage you to stay for the 7 o'clock. We're going to believe God for a mighty touch of his Holy Spirit in the realm of the prophetic and honoring God's name. Uh, but if not, see you next Sunday. God bless you.